Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David. Awesome episode on tap. We have Larry of Phyto Partners. He's invested in some of my most favorite companies, Steep Hill, Leaf, Gronetics, Baker, Flowhub, Leaflink, Work. Uh, we ask him about these and a whole lot of other things. We ask him about Fund 1 and now he's raising Fund 2. Awesome episode, guys. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. I was taking out a, a look at the portfolio on the website, and uh, there's 10 companies listed on the portfolio, and eight of them have been on the show previously. So I always like to hear uh, from people that are sort of like-minded in that way, but pretty crazy. Look, there, um, yes. There's a number of uh, companies that have um, kind of started to make their mark in the industry and they, they, they get around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a different way of saying there's a small group of good opportunities. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, yeah, I'll just get you started on an easy one here. Um, just tell us what Phyto Partners is and sort of what the thesis behind it was. Phyto Partners is a venture capital fund that invests in privately held companies that operate in and around the cannabis industry. I focus, I focus my attention on businesses that provide a business-to-business -business solution, uh, a technology, a service, um, a product that helps the licensed operators, the growers and the sellers, to be able to operate their businesses and function in the highly regulated cannabis industry. Yeah, the, uh, the highly regulated piece is interesting there. Uh, how much of what you offer is sort of any kind of um, expertise in navigating that. How much of that is in addition to writing the check? That's an interesting question. So, you know, our expertise here at FIDO is sourcing, you know, quality management teams or experienced management teams and then determining if what they are trying to do product service solution um, is viable? Does it solve a critical problem that the operators, the licensed operators are dealing with? Um, and general business, you know, experience, investment, acumen, for lack of a better word, um, and to figure out if these if these businesses and management teams, you know, can succeed. Mm -hmm. um, the businesses we invest in are not they're not unique businesses, and many of them are cannabis businesses. In fact, none of them are cannabis businesses. They're businesses that help cannabis businesses do business. They can help other businesses do business as well, whether it be. Um, dealing with their customer base, dealing with their human resource management issues, um, you know, technology to comply with regulatory requirements and the laws 
that are different all over the country and the world. Um, so it's not specific to cannabis necessarily. Obviously, knowing about the cannabis industry, understanding the nuances, the laws, the risks, pitfalls, things like that are very helpful in sourcing businesses and quality management teams. But again, there, you know, it's knowing if the business can function, if the business is whatever they're providing is required, if there's demand for it, um, and if they can execute, roll it out, gain market share. Um, you know, and obviously if the product, service, technology, solution works well. Got it. Um, take me back a little bit to the, uh, the beginning of Fund 1. Uh, I know that you're about to start raising for Fund 2, but take me back. Um, what year was that? And tell me a little bit about the foundation. You know, uh, how baked was the thesis you just gave me back then? <laughs> no pun intended, baked, huh? <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Uh, I came to the cannabis industry from nowhere near the cannabis industry. I was a wealth manager for 22 years working for uh, large brokerage firms. Morgan Stanley was the last place I was uh, for about 10 years. Um, in 2013, I started to see and hear what was going to happen in Florida. The law was going to change. I live in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a huge opportunity to get involved, or I saw an opportunity to get involved, you know, with with it with something that was good, what I felt was going to be, you know, a huge thing, socially, economically, business. Um, started to do research, network, connect, um, use my existing skill set on investing, seeking out investments, and advising people on how to, how to allocate money into investments to um, learn about the industry. And I decided in 2015 to resign from Morgan Stanley in good standing. I gave my, my book of business to my 20-year uh, assistant, um, and I left and started FIDO2 in June, uh, FIDO1 in June of 2015. Mm -hmm. I raised money from family, friends, and my own capital to seed the fund and start making investments so that I had a portfolio to show, um, I'll call them outside investors, when I showed them what I was doing and the fund that I was creating and the investment opportunity at hand. Um, and since then we invested in, like you see, uh, we've actually invested in 12 companies. The portfolio currently has 10 in it and, uh, and we continue to source deals. We have probably half a dozen ready to go for FIDO2, meaning all the due diligence is done. We're just awaiting capital in order to fund those deals. Yeah. Uh, so how big was the first fund? Um, the first fund, we were, we, were, we were shooting to raise $25 million. We raised about a quarter of that. A quarter of that. Okay. And it's all been deployed or not yet? 
it's essentially all put to work. We're, we're probably going to make one more investment. That'll be an investment that will be in FIDO 1 as well as FIDO 2. We'll go invest in one company, but from both funds. Yeah. So, I mean, I absolutely love your portfolio. Uh, like I was saying, I've, we've had pretty extensive conversations with a lot of them. Um, so I don't want to go too deep into each one of them, but I kind of want to go through the list. And if you could give me, you know, a one or two word answer for why they were so compelling for you. Um, and I'm just going to name off a few here. Uh, so we'll start with Leaf and my friend Yoni. So the Leaf box or the the Leaf appliance uh, is my only consumer facing product and it was compelling in that it, it it truly does solve the problem of being able being able to grow your own marijuana um, easily yeah I'm uh, I'm really excited to get my pre-order um, okay one that was on recently Gronetics Gronetics uh, operating system for large-scale cannabis companies. Uh, I, I envision it being, uh, you know, cannabis companies will say the way uh, computer companies say Intel inside. Um, it'll be Gronetics inside. That that will be the brains um, and the tech backbone for large-scale grow operations. Very cool, um, Baker which I think is also your largest investment today. Baker's our largest. Um, it's probably also our most successful in that it's been able to raise capital at you know, much higher valuations than where we originally invested um, and has executed on pretty much every key performance indicator. Um, Got it, yeah. Just really... It, exceeded expectations yeah it's doing very well um baker solves a, a critical pain point of being able to um market advertise and retain customers so whether it be patient loyalty or consumer loyal customer loyalty uh, and relationships to and they solve that problem really well smart team there too <laughs> Uh, Flowhub, which is in maybe the most competitive space, uh, what was so compelling about Flowhub? You know, compliance uh, and ease of complying with the complicated rules and procedures, um, and they solve that problem. Um, can't operate. You cannot be uh, um, legally operating. Uh, grower or seller without using either Flowhub or another seed to sale POS yep. technology. Uh -huh. um, um, the last one, which hasn't been on the show, uh, but looks very interesting, is Safer Lock. Can you tell us a little bit about Safer Lock? So Safer Lock was an early investment. Um, the idea was safety packaging real safety packaging or real um, secure packaging for cannabis um, what is considered a dangerous drug and in 
uh, many states, including Colorado, where it's legal and adult use, um, legal medically, legal for adult use or recreational use, it still uh, can't leave the dispensary in a clear packaging or uh, unsecured packaging. Um, and uh, we felt that their packaging could solve that problem. It has morphed more into an, uh, 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 a secure packaging for opioids. Got um, it, got it. The, the need and the demand in the cannabis industry for the safer lock product um, has not developed in the way we thought it would. Um, but the good news is it has developed even more so in the, the problem with uh, opioid addiction and, and, and that kind of sure. story. Which certainly is part of the greater uh, war on drugs conversation. Uh, interesting that it's sort of developed that way, though. Um, I mean, the market for, for their product to secure dangerous, really dangerous drugs, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't put cannabis in the really dangerous drug category. Yeah, good point. Good and point. if yeah. somebody got a hold of it, it you know, it's not going to kill them. They're not going to get addicted to heroin um, and so on. And yet, you know, it's classified that way. So it is mm-hmm. needed or as some of the rules say it needs to be secured that way. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, and someone willing to pay more for packaging that does secure it that way. Um, uh, so you said that Baker is the most successful. I want to talk a little bit about how much to save for follow-on rounds. Um, and when is the right time to put more money into a company? You know, wh- what are some KPIs or what does success look like? And when do you do that? What's my criteria for, 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 writing, for yeah. writing additional checks? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, the right time to put in additional money is when the company needs it. Many of these companies in the cannabis industry um, need need growth capital. Um, they need invested capital, and it's ongoing. It's not just one time. So when we make our initial investment, we reserve at least that amount, if not more, because hopefully rounds will be it. I guess that's not going to go well on the recording. Um, uh, when additional rounds that we want to participate in so we can retain our yeah. our equity position, we don't get diluted. Um, and we don't just participate for the sake of participating. There are um, criteria that we have, um, and that would include, but not limited to, that they have done close to what they have or what they claimed they would be doing in their investor deck, their original conversations and information that they provided to us. Um, and that it's just not capital because they budgeted incorrectly or, you know, some other error, but rather that they're raising money to grow from a position of strength versus that, oh, you were in trouble here, we need more capital, we need to get to the next place. Um, that's that, that becomes a cycle. Yeah. Um, and is it something that, you know, a certain percentage of the fund is allocated up front 
Like we're going to have this much for follow-ons or, or how is that analysis done? We don't segregate it necessarily like that. The, the investors, the limited partners in my funds um, have the wherewithal, the financial means, and we have the financial backing to be able to raise um, additional capital if required. They're not necessarily capital calls. They don't have to be met. Um, but we know, we know our investor base and partners well enough to know that um, if an opportunity um, or a, a need was there, uh, we'd, we'd be able to raise capital. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about fund two a little bit. How do you sell the second fund? You know, I mean, obviously you have some great portfolio companies, but what, you know, what what's part of that pitch to LPs? Um, the pitch is that things are getting better and better. Um, more and more opportunities are coming our way. Uh, larger and larger capital um, requirements are needed by these companies as they develop more um, I don't want to say professionally, but more the structures, the, you know, instead of starting with two or three founders and, you know, whoever will help out, they can start with, um, you know, full staffing, you know, a full management team and marketing teams and stuff. And that requires um, a lot more, a lot more capital to start with. So larger, bigger opportunities, I think more experienced management teams, founders are coming to the industry now. We're seeing more, I don't want to call them mature deals because they're still startup, you know, startup companies, maybe not even, you know, maybe, you know, pre-revenue, yet they're still more mature with the teams and the, you know, kind of the market experience or the knowledge of if the product or service um, can work and the competition and all, all of that is just further along. Um, yep. And we're going to try to raise more money this time. We're going to try to raise a hundred million dollars. Hopefully we'll be more successful. Um, you know, this year, arguably we were competing with, or in the last few years, we're competing with a very strong stock market, um, competing with, you know, the Bitcoin frenzy. Yep. So you talk to them about, you know, the cannabis industry and as exciting as it is, it doesn't go up 10, 30, 50% a day. Sure. Yeah. Um, and they're like, yeah. you know, so when, hopefully it also doesn't go down by those increments either though. You know, people say, you know, how long is the investment life or how long, you know, till we start to make money here. And it's, it's, it's not like that. So it's, it's a different sales process. Um, or investment process for people to appreciate. How much of that conversation is legal or involve Trump or Sessions? None. Um, if it's up to me, it's it's not really none. part of the conversation. You know, I posted but, something or I saw an article from January 2014. This is a solid four years ago. There's, it's a CNBC article about why venture capitalists are investing in the marijuana business. And there were two videos and the whole article about all talking the same exact topics that we're talking about today. 
you know, supply running out in, in Colorado because, you know, it had just gone recreational. Um, no advertising. Banking issue, still an issue. Um, people not knowing if it's legal or not legal. Yet the industry's grown from, I think at the time in 2014, I think the kind of the published numbers were that the industry was like $2 billion ish or something and you know last year we did something like near seven billion is what the kind of the quoted numbers are in the industry so the industry's going 300 and something percent and all the nonsense is still is still banking nonsense and chaos and makes no sense still issues yep. with you know the federal government classifying just all the nonsense and it's still this so um it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't change how the industry is going to grow. If the federal government truly got out of the way, decriminalized, declassified, um, and, and marijuana became you know nationwide like a beer, uh, then you'd have you know that would be a substantial difference. You know, people would use you know instead of going to high school to find marijuana and start smoking then it wouldn't be like that it wouldn't be like trying to get an illegal drug mm -hmm. um, people using it wouldn't have to go to a special doctor to get their medical marijuana prescription um, it would be like it's going to be like any other ailment any other disease any other sickness that you want to treat and you're going to get yeah, it's a tool for a doctor. Right. It's a tool Instead of amoxicillin or oxycodone or Ambien, you're going to be prescribed something that's derived from the cannabis plant that's non-addictive, non-toxic, and, you know, helps your problem without any side effects. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought up the future. Uh, as I look a little more globally it seems as if the U.S. is behind in the cannabis industry. Um, certainly losing to Canada. Others in South America, maybe Australia. Uh, who's going to be the winner here? You know, who will be the lowest cost, most efficient producer of cannabis in the future? Canada. For sure, Canada? In the near future, I think. Um, they already are, um, and they have the most capital to build the most technologically advanced, you know, cannabis factories. Um, ultimately, what I really think is going to happen, I think marijuana is going to be grown outdoors in places where it grows indigenously for pennies or, you know, uh, you know, a fraction of the cost that we grow it in warehouses in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, climate, climate is so important here. Um, and the sun is so important. And so it would seem that uh, if we're talking about cannabis at scale, you know, stuff that's going to be used in pharmaceuticals and, uh, you know, more more branded packages, edibles, things like that, not flowers. We don't grow coffee indoors. We don't grow... Um, tobacco indoors. We don't grow any commodity for the most part indoors. Plants. It, it doesn't it makes no sense on so many different levels. It's a bad use of, of, of you know, an economically bad use of real estate 
it's, uh, it's you know it's stupid to have to air condition um, the natural environment or to create a natural environment that exists. So whether it be British Columbia, you know, BC or the Triangle in, in California or, you know, Afghanistan, Thailand, Colombia, Brazil, wherever, you know, marijuana grows best, easiest and cheapest is where it should be grown. Um, if we're going to grow it indoors, you know, with air conditioning and lights and special water and, you know, all sorts of chemical nutrients and stuff, it's going to be different. It's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. And that doesn't really yeah. make any sense. And you'll yep. be, you, we will be able to refine it to the point where, you know, maybe not flour, but if extracted cannabis can be cleaned, you know, all the st stuff can be, you know, extracted out of it. Um, and it can be formulated yep. Yep. so that it doesn't need to be um, grown, you know, clean or whatever. Uh, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So my long-term vision um, is I think that, you know, marijuana won't be grown in warehouses um, you know, for, for six, seven hundred dollars a pound. It's right. silly to right. say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So f last question, and I'll get you out of here uh, a little bit more of a personal level. What was your relationship uh, with cannabis when you started Fido, and how has it evolved? You know, what kind of cannabis consumer are you today? I'm a casual cannabis consumer. I've consumed pretty much, uh, you know, since I'm a teenager, um, socially, and um, it hasn't changed much at all. Um, I don't do more or less. I my, my view of it as a medicine, maybe, or as something that actually um, isn't just to you know, get high or relax, has probably evolved a little bit. I think I, I believe more that it, you know, this endocannabinoid that it keeps you normal and yep. yellow and, uh, you know, it all makes a lot of sense. That's why it helps with anxiety. That's why it helps you sleep. That's why it helps with your appetite. That's why, um, yeah, some people think that's a bad thing, but you know, when you're 80 years old and you have no appetite and can't keep food down, um, you know, you die. Uh, yep. But if you, you know, take a pill of cannabis and it gives you an appetite, then, you know, that's a good thing. And uh, so all the things that it does to you um, seem that they, that they could be, uh, should be, could be, and are um, healthy medicinal um that they you know improve your health in you know more ways than just oh we sat around smoke you know smoked the joint and you know ate a lot of doritos yeah no absolutely i mean cannabis has made me a better person uh in in many different ways um when you consume how do you like to consume you like flowers or concentrates or what, what are you into i'm kind of a vintage vintage just regular way I'm not a big fan of, of the oils or vape pens or, 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 you know, edibles don't do it for me. So joints or a bong or a bolt? Just any sort of flower works. Any sort of flower. Good stuff. Well, I think that's uh, as good a place to end as any. Thanks so much for being on the show, Larry. It was really interesting, and I'm obsessed with your portfolio. So congrats. That's, that's a really nice group of companies. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time.